Welcome to another episode of the Chess for Life Spotlight, where we meet amazing individuals from around the world, discovering their connections with chess and using chess to positively, positively impact the world. I'm your host, Elliot Neff, National Master, founder of Chess for Life, author of A Pawn's Journey, Transforming Lives One Move at a Time. And today, we have a special guest, Brian Heathman, author himself, publisher, founder of Made for Success Publishing, and indeed, the publisher of my book, Upon's Journey. So thank you for joining me today, Brian. You bet, Elliot. It's a treat to uh, be on your show. Absolutely. A joy to have you here with the friendship and with the encouragement you gave me to write my book some years ago. And so for today, let's dive right in. I would love to have you say, what is it exactly that you do and what makes you so successful in your space? Because I've known you as this author, publisher, marketer, so many things, and yet you keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's a great question. So I'm the CEO of a company in Seattle called Made for Success, and we're a book publishing company, a book publishing company that got into the book business backwards. So what does that mean? Um, well, uh, in the world of books, you've got the obvious things like, you know, books, we, <laughs> we make books, uh, but then we make ebooks and then we make audiobooks. Okay. But in the case of uh, my origin story with Made for Success, we started with audiobooks, huh. then we got into ebooks. And then finally, we got into physical books. <laughs> so, wow. And yeah. while we're talking about that, you know, with the COVID shutdowns from the last couple of years and the online explosion, do you mind just out the gate here giving your two cents, your opinion about physical books? Because so many people are thinking digital. Do you think physical books are just here to stay forever? And obviously, I'm not the expert in the space, hence, I'm curious. Uh, it's, a it's a great question. So, you know, when, when I first got into ebooks in the United States, ebooks represented 7% of the total revenue in the $43 billion industry that is the book industry. Okay. Um, that year was 2009. Wow. Where ebooks were 7%. Okay. Fast forward to today, what do you guess that percentage would be? Is it are ebooks 10%? Are they are they 18%? I would are are ebooks 45% of revenues? I mean, it's a great question, but here's the answer. So in the US, and it's different everywhere else, but in the US, 65% um, of the activity, like the revenues that yeah. the industry makes, come from physical books. Hmm. 21% come from ebooks and about 15% come from audiobooks. Huh. Okay. Now those numbers don't line up a little bit because there's a few other things that represent revenues in this industry, but that's the those are the big 3. Kind of an interesting thing, but ebooks peaked at 27% and have been on the decline for the last 5-6 years. Because wow. here's the deal, people prefer the off-screen experience when they're in the, in the mood to read. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And Interesting. Would you say yeah. that some of that 
has been impacted because of the shutdowns and, and those things over the last two years? Have you seen a direct impact or, or more just a general trend? It's a it's a counterintuitive thing. So one would have thought that, uh, you know, every bookstore in North America and every bookstore worldwide closed for about a year mm -hmm. due to the uh, pandemic. So one would expect that the uh, ebook thing would explode uh, during the pandemic times with all the bookstores being closed, but it was just the opposite. <laughs> um, the book business took an uptick, a significant uptick during COVID and people started um, reading physical books. So they, they were ordering the physical books. Now that re leads to another interesting question. Um, where did they buy those physical books? If every bookstore in North America was closed? I think the well, first thing that comes to mind is Amazon. <laughs> the obvious answer equals Amazon. And um, today uh, it's interesting because as a book publisher, right? I'm seeing um, somewhere between 70 and 75% of every dollar that we make off the sale of a book comes from one company. Hmm. So, um, and one could argue that, you know, we are sort of under the thumb of a monopoly. <laughs> wow. when you look at it but, Interesting. So. but but one of the things though that that you kind of were alluded to is what makes you successful in this book publishing business well our motto at made for success is you tell the story we tell the world okay and the way that we do that keeps changing all the time so we've got to be nimble much like in a chess match where you're adjusting and changing in every given moment. Now, in our world, um, we're basically using this nimble attitude to um, uh, shape society. We think that words are important. I personally feel, and this is an interesting thing to think about, I think words can change future outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I believe the power of our words, you know, that is fascinating. And also how you related it immediately to a chess game, which is of course my space being a national master where everything changes every move, every move exactly. <laughs> where we make plans, but the new information that comes with every turn has to be carefully evaluated and adapted to. Mm -hmm. as we make mm -hmm. our move. So that is fascinating. What you're, what I'm hearing you say is the importance of words, print or audio or ebook doesn't really matter necessarily. The medium is so, so crucial that what you're focusing on, you're, you're adapting rapidly to shape the future based yeah. on what you're doing in what you publish. Does that mean that you have a careful filter about who you partner with and who you're going to work with and what kinds of books you're going to put out there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to turn books away every single day because the sequence of words within that manuscript um, may not be in alignment with um, our vision to improve society through the power of words. Wow. Now, 
but let's think about it because we're talking about writing books and authors and all these big things. But but what's it like for just everyday, like an everyday individual? So we use words when we speak. We use words when we sit down to play a chess match. Mm-hmm. And I believe those words are important. What are the things that you say right before a match? Mm-hmm. What things do you want to communicate? Are you trying to communicate a position of uh, mutual cooperation? Are you trying to uh, communicate a intimidation against your opponent? I mean, the, so words do matter. Even the words that we speak in everyday situations. You know, I've not often thought about the power of those words, even though they're crucially important. And at Chess for Life, we're teaching students with a vision to impact a million youth a week with life skills through the game. And so we do talk with students about how in a chess game itself, of course, you're going to be quiet while you're competing. But before the match begins, there's the verbal and nonverbal communication, right? There's the etiquette of a chess competition where you would greet each other before the game, mm-hmm. shake hands typically pre-COVID. Now virtual shakes are acceptable and, and these yeah. kind of things. But you would say, have a good game. Or some people would say good luck or something like this. It's part of the sportsmanship of the game. There, of yeah. Respect for each other mm-hmm. and communicating in a good manner. And after the game, no matter the result, you would shake hands again and say, good game or thank you for the game. That's and part is that of, hard? It's is that hard for people? And, and, that, and that's a, it's a, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, is it hard at the end to say good game? It's not so hard when you win. Right, <laughs> the exactly. Is when you don't win. And at Chess mm-hmm. for Life, we like to say you can win, you can draw, or you can learn. Mm-hmm. You don't lose. You learn if your mindset is one of getting better. But that mm-hmm. is interesting. I've never really thought about the power of these words. And it's making me think about the power of the nonverbal what you're telling yourself in your mind before your game. And now we're, we're kind of transitioning into chess a little bit here, but I'll, I digress a moment from our, our chat. And that is a powerful concept, which we can talk about at another state. What you tell yourself is crucial. And Brian, I want to bring that up here because in the context of writing a pawn's journey, first time I wrote a book, I was intimidated by the thought of writing a book. And one of the reasons I, you know, invited you to join this, this show here, the Chess for Life Spotlight, was I started to see some parallels between the way I play chess and the way that you guided me in writing this book. Mm. You see, the first step was simply the attitude of can-do attitude. Mm-hmm. If you think you can, you probably can. If you think you can't, yeah, you're right. You'll never try. And you gave me the confidence that we could accomplish the dream that I had to share with the world about how chess transforms lives. And so you were that mentor in that process. And then as we dove into it, you were the expert, right? You're the master in that field compared to myself who didn't know anything about publishing. Mm-hmm. And your guidance was instrumental. And, and here's where I'd like to dive into a little piece of this. And that was, I'm a master in the game. And I like to say sometimes I'm a master because I play chess backwards. I always begin with the end in mind. I always evaluate the position, look to a goal, and Mm -hmm. then that tells me what to do now. So in terms of writing a book, that was somewhat of my experience. And it was like you had the whole picture and you understood how to craft where to get there. 
and then guided me step by step along the path towards it. Can you? Well, it's kind of it, it's kind of funny because you you mentioned uh, thinking backwards. Yes. When you approach a chess match. Yes. So you're trying to deconstruct things in a in a backwards fashion because you've seen these patterns and you've seen them happen over and over again. Um, writing a book is exactly the same. So a book typically takes a year from the time when you start to the time when you have the finished book in your hand, but it starts backwards. We don't start with a book. We start with putting words um, you know, on paper or in a computer system. Okay. But we have to start with the organizational structure. We call it the table of contents. <laughs> and if you think about a book, you know, and you open it up in the first 10 pages of the book, you're going to flip past the table of contents, but that's where every author starts because that's the outline of what they're going to say. And then they fill in the blanks um, to, to get the story. And it's the same with, now we're talking about nonfiction books you know, like a, like a business book or a self-help book. But if you think about fiction books, mm -hmm. like, you know, think of your favorite, you know, fiction book, like a Harry Potter novel or, or, you know, whatever, whatever your, your favorite type of reading is, they start in the same fashion with the list of characters, um, what they do, what their character traits are like. But when we looked at the process of writing a pawn's journey, um, you know, I see the outcome at the end of the year long process, and we start backwards with creating the structure, writing the materials, getting them edited. And in your case, you're, you were quite unique. So I've coached dozens and dozens and dozens of people from all around the world to write books. And everybody's a really interesting thought leader, really smart uh, individuals with some uh, incredible ideas. And I give them a 90-day time frame to write the book because I've got an editing team that I hire and they, they're on calls every week and yada, yada, yada. Um, and Elliot, you delivered your manuscript in 89 days. I was actually counting <laughs> and you were too. Um, and, uh, so we started backwards. we got the structure and you actually got through the writing of the book in 89 days. Well, I, I appreciate that note. And you say not too many, you know, follow through with all of that. And yet I would just say from my standpoint, this is something that I learned through the game of chess was the power of commitment to a goal mm -hmm. and then measuring my success based upon my inputs, not based on the outcomes. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if the book would be done in those days, but I did know what inputs I needed to do. And I committed to those just mm -hmm. the same as I did when I put in my 10,000 hours studying chess and practicing and training to become a national master. Right. So right. I didn't know any better. I knew I wanted the book published and the coach I went to said, this is what you need to do. And I said, okay, how do I block out the time it's going to take me to do that? And I did it because so I here's a, here's a curious question for you. Um, in your training to become a national master, um, what percent of that training came from coaches and what percent of that training came from books? Fascinating question. 
maybe 1% came from coaches for me. We didn't have the resources when I was young to afford high level professional coaches. Mm -hmm. So I studied well over 100 chess books, Mm. cover to cover training and learning from everyone I could. And then I leveraged the lack of coaches by every competition game I played. I tried to learn from my opponent. So in some ways you could say, maybe I had 300 coaches because every person I played, I would ask them after the game. And many of them may still remember this. I would always ask them after the game, Hey, do you mind reviewing the game together? Can we talk about it? See what we could have done better. Mm. Anytime I lost learned, I would always do that. Mm. And if I won the game and it felt too easy, I would still offer it because I believed even in winning, there's things I can learn from every person I play with. Mm. And that was the way that I went on. But understanding that lack is why when we met and I went, well, you've got the experience here that I don't have. Let me see if I can jump forward without making the same mistakes that you would recognize could likely be made. (laughs) Why would I want to repeat those? Now, and hence that really yeah. helped. So now books are a funny thing, but I want to ask you a little trivia question. You may or may not even know the answer to this question. Um, but when was chess invented? What year? <laughs> Great <laughs> question. And I'm not the expert on the subject. However, from the things that I'm aware, there were variants of the game of chess that go far back. We're talking as far back as several thousand or a couple thousand years. Okay. BC is, I believe the first time that there was a semblance of the game from the ancient dynasties Hmm. in China and in India and and Chaturanga is sometimes considered to be the precursor to chess. That's very similar to it, but we're Hmm. talking, the game has been played for millennia as a representation of a strategy battle type of game. Mm-hmm. The game we know today as Western chess with its current rules went through its, its current form. The latest change that led to its form today, I believe was in the 1800s, the early 1800s. Hmm. And what we saw was from the Eastern societies, the pieces moved kind of representative of the society. And as it moved to the West, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly it came with Marco Polo, perhaps to the European area, okay. the pieces powers changed to reflect society. So the queen became a very powerful figure, whereas there wasn't really a queen in the society of the East at the time. And so we saw some rules changes that morphed into today's game as we know it now. And so, and so you would attribute this to the 1800s coming out of Europe, the way the game is uh, shaped today, the way, the way, North American chess is played. Western chess was really shaped through the European influence over a few hundred years. Hmm. And the latest minor changes occurred, yes, around the 1800s. Okay. So here's another trivia question for you, and you're not going to know the answer to this, (laughs) but I'm going to ask it anyway, just to get people thinking. Um, If you had to guess what year books were invented, (laughs) <laughs> what year do you think that would be? And there's no right or wrong answer here. Yeah, now that's a fun question. I've never been asked for sure. All right. Brian. And in terms of that, I would quantify, do you mean a book with a fold or do you mean a scroll or just writing? 
exactly talking writing right we're thinking back to the papyrus of egypt probably yeah, is the so earliest thing i can think of from so written word yep has been around for a long time but Absolutely. there was a political exile from germany in the year 1450 who invented this machine you're not talking about gutenberg are you it's called the Gutenberg Press. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, so, so books. Explosion of books, right? Because they can yeah. them quickly yeah. versus hand copy these scrolls. Yeah. So today, um, guess what? Y- you know, you got a book. Yeah. It has a cover. It has ink on a page. It has a spine that's glued. Mm-hmm. And guess what? This technology was invented back in 1450. All right. So the form of a book really hasn't changed all that much since the 1400s. And think (laughs) about 1400s. That's amazing. These are the days when Leonardo da Vinci was, you know, working on the Mona Lisa. I mean, it's on the Mona Lisa, same exact timeframe. Um, and the form wow. of a book has not changed in a material way. And, and this widget, even today in the, 20, in the year 2022, um, it's, it still represents 65% of this industry, the book industry. Wow. Now, it's interesting for you to hear, or for me to hear, that your training to get to be a national master. Yeah was attributed largely to books. Correct. So do ideas matter? Absolutely. Perhaps they do. Um, is it an important skill to, um, to read? Mm-hmm. Perhaps it is. Is it an important skill to, to understand how words can shape a future? Totally. Perhaps, perhaps there is some interesting things that you can think about. Now, when you think about chess and um, the aspect of planning, okay, um, you sit down and you have a, a plan for everything. Now, when, when we were talking books, um, we set a plan and that plan took us 12 months to execute. Okay. So how long does it take to set a plan for a chess match? Is, <laughs> nice. it, is it an hour? Is it three hours? So in terms of a plan in, in the game of chess, let me, let me answer it. But let me first ask you, if you don't mind, to give some context. You know how to play the game of chess. Do you mind sharing when you learned, how far you went, just so I can have that context in responding to planning yeah, yeah. So I am a um, amateur chess player um, that I would say I, I would not characterize myself as an enthusiast, meaning I haven't read a chess book. I've never played a tournament, um, but I love playing the game recreationally and will play one game of, or, or, or I'll, one day a month, I'll play speed chess. Uh, with a friend. Um, and what I love about the game is the 
um, the fact that, you know, it gets me on the edge of my seat. It makes my palms sweat, right? When I play, cause it's so fast moving and, and, and you gotta be so into it. So anyway, okay. um, non-serious so player. Yeah. Basically novice level player who enjoys yep. the game. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. You know, you've got a cup of coffee or something, sit down with a friend, play a game casually here and there and enjoy the game. So in terms of planning and chess, one of the reasons I, I asked the question and for our audience also, who may be on the spectrum from, you know, high level chess players to brand new to the game. Mm -hmm. We play chess games and you mentioned speed chess. And typically that means about five minutes per side for all the moves in the game. Now, some people will just play fast chess without a timer, but there's literally, literally timers where if you run out of time, you lose the game. So every move has to be played within those five minutes. And I, and some others, especially with the advent of the online space we'll play games like bullet chess where you have 60 seconds to play all the moves in the game <laughs> contrast that with national championships that we would compete in where a single game could could last four hours two hours each side and when i was young my longest ever game was over eight hours hmm. so when we talk about planning we can talk about a different spectrum, right? If you're playing fast games, you're making very short-term little goals, little steps to make progress. Hmm. But now let's talk in the context of more like a national competition, which would be more relatable to having writing a book, right? It's a long journey mm -hmm. going through this path of writing. And yeah. so making it plan in a, in a high-level chess game involves deep thinking, about evaluating what is on the chessboard to begin with, because you start with what is there. And so understanding as the game progresses, even what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? What are my opponent's strengths in the position? What would are the inputs that could lead to a likely positive outcome? Hmm. Most people would know checkmate is the game is the goal in a game of chess, but a chess master while that's always in your mind, is looking at the accumulation of smaller advantages, which will create enough power and strength in the position to achieve the checkmate later. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at that and creating this longer term objective, kind of like a business plan. You may have a 10-year objective, like just for life, a million kids a week learning life skills through the game. But then you need to break it down into bite-sized chunks to achieve this, what do I need to achieve first? And then backtrack that to what do I need to do the next three years, the next year, the next quarter, this week? Mm. And then finally, today. And that choice for what I'm going to do today is like choosing which move you're going to play in a chess game. Ah, uh, yeah. So when you planned that way, you've got the long term picture. And it comes backwards to what do I do now to support that? And then every turn, the position shifts and you reevaluate. It's a bit fluid. You see, sometimes people think you just have to be great at calculation in the game of chess. You got to think far ahead. Well, you do have to think strategically, but the complexity is so grand. It's a great metaphor for life. And that's why we love to use it that way. Mm -hmm. Did you know the first three turns? For each side, do you know how many possible moves there are or positions, shall I say, not moves, but unique positions? Any wild guess, Brian? <laughs> 
for for the opening moves so how three many turns each side in a game let's say you make a how move many combinations are there nine. yes how many combinations how many different unique positions in just uh, three turns each yeah okay so i'll say three thousand that's just a lucky guess without doing any math no problem multiply that times three thousand <laughs> and you have a very close approximation nine million possible positions in just three turns and four moves in huh. one more turn each side <laughs> 280 billion oh wow b that's how crazy complex hmm. you're just calculating and that's why it's really about planning and strategy and thinking and then reevaluating as things shift. Anyway, we've gone down this path of, of planning and chess, and I've really appreciated the conversation, Brian. You know, these parallels between chess and how you think as a publisher, as an author. Let's just move on here before we wrap up. I've got a few questions that I'd love to just ask you. Yeah, sure. Well, at Chess for Life, we talk about mindsets of success, and we have 10 of them and we incorporate those into the book. As you're working in Made for Success publishing and you're helping authors bring mm -hmm. to life these things, mm -hmm. how critical is your mindset and things like resilience and grit in, the, in these attitudes that we talk about? What parallels do you see? Yeah, well, there's huge, huge parallels in mindset. Um, the thing about um, writing and publishing a book, it's a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, and it starts with, what are you going to say? And it's like, well, I've got all these things that I want to say. And okay, well, let's structure them. And then you start to write. And then you realize, huh, this whole writing thing is really hard. And I've got all these questions. Do I, um, do I talk about future t tense or past tense or do i use present tense how do i structure uh quotation marks in something that somebody verbally says um and there's all these rules that we all learned right when we were in school um but you know depending on how uh much attention you paid to grammar and punctuation and these type of things would determine how many of these rules that you remember Okay. Um, then we get to the cover. We, we design the cover, you know, so that's the, that's the opening moves, right. In writing a book, it's getting things written. Then we've got the middle game. The middle game is about um, editing the entire manuscript. It's about creating the cover and it's about setting a plan for how we tell people that the book is on the market. Why, why is that important? All right. So we talked about 3 million different combinations within um, uh, the first three moves of both sides on a, on a chessboard. Well, uh, oddly enough, the number of books published last year was 3.2 million. So we have the same combination of overwhelming choice when we decide what we want to read. Because there's 3 million choices of new books, not to talk about all the ones that were published the year before or the year before or the year before, dating all the way back to 1450. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. So um, there's a lot of choice. And so we got to get the word out. So that is what I would consider the end game 
of um, the publishing process where you're actually trying to figure out how am I going to spin up enough media attention to draw attention to these words that I've put together. In the case of your words, Elliot, these are words that were designed to shape society, to make society a better place, yeah. right? Your combination of words with the stories about, um, what was the central character's name again? What was her name? You mean um, April. April? April. Yeah, with April's story on her journey, uh, which is a fascinating and a very emotionally moving story. I, I just, I just love the story that you wrote. It's, it's well, really, you. really impressive with a pawn's journey. I do appreciate that. And that's really fascinating. And once again, you know, now for chess players, we think about things like this is the opening phase and what are my objectives in the opening? Mm -hmm. And similar with the book there, it was like the opening phase of getting the manuscript written in the, in the outline and these different elements. And then what's the middle game phase in chess and it's complicated and there's so many possibilities. It's exciting. And then you have the end game phase where you're kind of like, you have pretty clear direction now, right? Because you've had all this middle game that has led to some clarity and now it's finishing off. Or if you're on the, on the losing side, it's trying to stay in the game, get any opportunity you can and create some counterplay. But let's say you're winning the game. It's trying to achieve it and finish it off. And, you know, I, I recall that too. It was like the phase one, like the opening was getting the manuscript, right? The goal of who, what's the reason for this book and then getting it drafted. That middle game phase of getting it edited and ready for print. But that end game, just like I like to say, the end game is crucially important. Without the end game, you don't finish well. And right. with the end game, how do you get it in the book into the hands of the people you're trying to influence? So right. learning to do that. And I appreciated the, walking with you through all of those steps of this mm -hmm. journey. Now, yeah. before we wrap up, because we're getting lower on time here, there's a few questions. Normally I like to start, but we had so much fun jumping right in. I like to ask a few more ones here just for our audience to get to know you as a person a little bit better, if sure. you don't mind. Yeah. So first one, do you have a favorite hobby or sport? Well, I do. Um, and one is a hobby and the second is a sport. So on the sports side, um, I play tennis and tennis. Um, they say that um, the old saying is um, half the game is 70% mental. Hmm. <laughs> so, and the punchline there is that it is a mental game. So you get into a match and you win, lose, or you win, draw, or learn mm -hmm. <laughs> based on your headspace. And it's usually your headspace that will determine the outcome of a awesome. tennis match. Love um, tennis too. That's a great. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, on the hobby side. So there's my sport. That's what keeps me active. Um, and that's how I try to stay in shape. Um, hobby side, I'm a musician. I'm a professional trombonist. And for over a decade, I owned a 17-piece uh, swing band. Wow. That we would do like West Coast swing for, you know, like, right. uh, you know, Frank Sinatra type uh, classics or Michael Buble and th that type of thing. And we played events all over the Pacific Northwest. Um, so it was, it's very fun. And it's been a hobby that I've been able to uh, carry with me for a lifetime. 
awesome. Uh, my workout is lifting chess pieces. It doesn't, doesn't quite equate. <laughs> find some heavier sets here. <laughs> yeah. You may have touched on this already, but what is something unique about you that almost nobody knows? Well, let's see. Um, one thing that uh, I guess is interesting, you know, so I own a business, right? Um, publishing books. But one thing that, um, you know, I don't share very often is that most of the time, um, I don't work here in my office. Most of the time, I'm out on the road. And so I live in a town called Seattle and Seattle is, it rains often here. So <laughs> I try to be places where it doesn't rain during the rainy season. So, um, so I do a fair bit of travel. Yeah. So you basically have a remote workspace. Were you doing that pre-COVID or was that more an outcome of COVID? Yeah, um, I actually set the vision to mm -hmm. work remote eight years ago. Nice. And spent a year trying to figure out what kind of tools we could use for awesome. all of our team members right. to be able to work remote as well. So you were preparing for the future and didn't know it. And we didn't even know it. Yeah, and when COVID came on and the shutdown came, we didn't miss a beat because we were already working effectively right. in a virtual fashion. That's awesome. Last few yeah. questions here. One quick one. What's a bucket list item that you are totally looking forward to still accomplishing in your future? Well, um, on the fun side, um, I would love to go to all four um, uh, opens in 12 months. And the, in the, as a tennis fan, um, there are four big games. You've got the Wimbledon, which happens in England. You've got the Australian Open, which happens, oddly enough, in Australia. Um, you've got the French Open, which is in kind of near Paris. And then you've got the U.S. Open, which is um, in Manhattan in um, September. Yeah. And so awesome. it'd be fun, bucket list kind of thing, you know, yeah. if I wasn't, you know, if I had no financial constraints, and I had no work constraints. I would travel to these four countries and watch tennis. That'd be really All fun. All in one year? All in one year. Yeah. That would be awesome. Let me know what year you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then last two things. Uh, what's the big accomplishment in life that you want to achieve sometime in the next, you name it, one year, three years, 10 years, or even your lifetime? You know, um, I've, I've thought about that. So, you know, when I, when I think about what, what are the things that comes up in conversation is what kind of advice would you have if you could advise your younger self? And it kind of gets to that, you know, what's one big thing that you'd like to achieve? Um, but I was, I was kind of thinking about that and this actually came up in conversation organically two weeks ago. Um, and the question really is instead of what kind of advice would you give your younger self? The question is, what kind of advice would you give your current self? <laughs> and it's an entirely different thing that really sets you back in your chair and go, Hmm, what could, what kind of advice can I give myself? So is that advice to spend more time preparing for an upcoming match is it what advice could i give my current self 
should I read a book on strategy? Um, what can, or, or can I start to write a paper for school about what lessons I learned through the game of chess that I can apply to my life? Those are types of things that would be kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting matrix to think about. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. So really appreciate you joining me today, Brian. Thanks for taking the time. It's, it was awesome getting to meet you, get to know you in the journey of publishing a Pond's journey. Uh, any last thing you'd like to share to our audience? How can our audience, you know, learn more about your work, follow, listen along as you do your journey? Are you going to blog about your tennis journey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. How can our, how can our audience learn more about you and Made for Success? Yeah, well, I've written um, hundreds of articles um, all about professional speaking and writing books and marketing books. And all those articles are at madeforsuccess.com. And that's a great way to just kind of get a lot of really interesting things. If you ever thought about writing a book, um, it's an interesting, interesting way to think about it. Great. We'll be happy um, to post that in any other links you know, in the comments or on the page with this too. So really, really do appreciate that. Thank you again, Brian, everybody listening, remember to like, and subscribe so you can don't miss out on any of our future amazing people that we meet from around the world. Thank you for joining the Chess for Life Spotlight.